We all know that Jesus was crucified under Pontius Pilate, died and rose on the third day. And most of us know that before his crucifixion, Jesus foretold of his humiliating and brutal death. But he also said that if we want to become his follower, a Christian, we must also take up our cross. But what did he mean by this? Surely he's not asking us to disrupt our modern, comfortable lives. Surely he doesn't want us to be responsible Christians outside of Sunday mornings. And surely he doesn't expect us to change our way of life in obedience to the Father. The bottom line, to pick up your cross and follow Jesus implies a responsibility to walk the way. You're listening to The Way with Father Dustin Lyon, a podcast of the Ephesus School Network. past few weeks in the Orthodox Church, we've been contemplating the cross. The feast day for the cross is September 14th, and it historically celebrates the finding of the cross in the 4th century by Helen, the mother of the Emperor Constantine. Though the feast day is always on a specific date, September 14th, the Church contemplates the cross for a much longer period through its lectionary readings. The readings for the Sundays before and after the feast also focus on the cross. So, we're always reminded of the cross in September in the Orthodox Church. There's no getting around it. But before we contemplate the meaning of the cross, and I especially want to focus on the reading that comes the Sunday after the feast, we should take a look at what crucifixion in the first century was. We all know the physical aspects of crucifixion. Someone was led to a spot outside the city walls and was nailed or tied to a post of some sort. Because of our Christian background, we all think of the cross that has a cross beam about a quarter or a third of the way down the main post, to which the arms are nailed. But the tree that one was nailed to wasn't standardized. It could have been a simple pole. It could have had a cross beam at the very top, or it could have had several cross beams, one for the hands and one for the feet. In addition, people weren't always nailed to crosses. Though this was very common, it was also possible to be tied to a cross so that your body was exposed to the elements. And don't forget, you are usually put on the cross naked. The point wasn't just to kill you, but also to humiliate you. This was a society that was built on honor and shame, and shaming was a way of keeping people in line. In the story of Jesus' crucifixion, we learn that he died relatively shortly just a few hours after he was nailed to the cross. However, this was not always the case. Often it would take days for people to die. And when they did die, they usually died of asphyxiation or exhaustion. You see, when people were put on the cross, it was a very painful experience. Let's imagine that you had your arms and feet nailed to the cross. Where would you put your weight? If you tried to stand, for example, you'd have to put all your weight on your feet, and that would have been a painful experience. If, however, you decided to try and pull yourself up with your arms, you'd be putting all your weight on your hands, or probably more likely your wrists, wherever the nails had been driven. But that, too, would have been a very painful experience. 
so you're stuck. There's no choice of how to distribute your weight. On top of this, with your arms extended, and you are probably shifting your weight around to avoid the pain, one way or another, scientists have shown that crucified people couldn't breathe very well. So, with each breath, you'd either have to pull yourself up with your arms, or try to use your feet to push yourself up. Each and every breath would have been a very painful experience. This is why most people ended up dying of exhaustion or asphyxiation. This also explains why Pilate has the legs of the crucified criminals broken. What was happening is that people were staying alive on the cross for days, and to hasten their deaths, the Romans would break their legs so they couldn't use them to assist in breathing. So once your legs were broken, your death was hastened. But think about this. This is a situation where having your legs broken is a blessing. It means that death would come sooner rather than later, but most importantly, it meant that your pain was coming to an end. We may think, how horrible the Romans did this to people. But if you are hanging on the cross, you might welcome having your legs broken. Now, believe it or not, we do have archaeological evidence of crucifixion, though it's only one example. In 1968, archaeologists were excavating some burial caves in a northern suburb of Jerusalem when they came across a first-century rock-hewn tomb. Inside were five ossuaries. Ossuaries, by the way, are small stone boxes. After someone died, what typically would happen in first-century Palestine is that a person was put into a cave-like tomb and the flesh was allowed to rot away. Then, once the flesh was gone, the family gathered the bones and put them into an ossuary, which was also stored in the tomb. Anyway, in one of the ossuaries, the archaeologists found that one of the skeletons had been crucified. They determined that this man was in his mid-twenties and that he was five feet, five inches tall. His right heel bone still had a four and a half inch nail through it. The nail had been bent, so whoever had taken him down from the cross wasn't able to pull the nail out. What's also fascinating about this find is that at the head of the nail, there was a small olive wood board. This man's feet had been nailed to the side of a cross, and on the outside of his heel, this piece of wood had been placed to prevent his heel from tearing through the small head of the nail. In other words, it was functioning like a washer on a screw. So we do have archaeological evidence of crucifixion, but only this one example. Typically, when someone was crucified, they were either given a very shallow burial, or their body was cast aside to rot or be eaten by animals. The fact that we have this one example probably means that he came from a well-to-do family who requested his body from the governing authorities. So, why did the Romans crucify people? What was the purpose of all of this? Romans used crucifixion as a way of keeping subjected people in line. Romans, as we all know, expanded far past Rome in Italy. At its peak, the Roman Empire extended from Britain to Syria, from Egypt and northern Africa to Germany and Gaul. It encompassed the entire Mediterranean Sea. As they expanded, they incorporated the conquered peoples into the empire, including opportunities for those people to gain Roman citizenship. There's at least one case where the emperor gave citizenship to all free peoples living within the empire. And for the most part, this strategy worked. Those people who had been conquered became incorporated into the empire 
without any problems. In fact, it was very common for the emperors to come from distant parts of the empire. Everyone who had been given citizenship was on equal grounds, so to speak, within their class status. But humans are humans, and there were people who weren't subjected as easily. And of course, there were always criminals about. So in these cases, crucifixion was used as a deterrent. It's important to note here that crucified people were never Roman citizens. Only non-citizens would have been crucified. This is why Paul, who had Roman citizenship according to Luke, was beheaded rather than crucified when he was executed. But, as I said, the main function of crucifixion was to keep people in line. This is why crucified people were always crucified outside the main cities on the roads that led into the city. Everyone who came to town to do their business would have had to walk past these crucifixions. In short, Roman crosses were a signpost, a warning to everyone who saw them that you had better not mess with Rome, or it could be you hanging on one of these crosses. It's a behave-or-else sort of situation. Josephus, who is a Jewish historian in the first century, tells us that after Herod the Great died, 2,000 people were crucified outside of Jerusalem to keep the peace. He also writes that after the temple was destroyed in 70 AD, the uprisings were so bad that the Romans crucified 500 people a day. So don't imagine that crucifixions were rare, as executions by the U.S. government are today. That is, just a few people a year. In the ancient world, it was a common sight in some places, and you were always living under the threat of it. Also, don't imagine that we don't have something that's functional to crucifixion in our world today, at least in our very recent past. A few years ago, the theologian James Cohn wrote a book called The Cross and the Lynching Tree. There, he argues that lynchings in the American South functioned as crosses did for the Roman Empire. A lynching was a warning sign to the African-American community that they had better stay in their place or else. White supremacists used the lynching tree to assert their authority and threaten the black community with violence and utter humiliation. Our society can be just as brutal and terrible as the Romans. So with all of this in mind, the physical pain, the humiliation, and the function of the cross to keep people in line, we turn to the passage read this past Sunday, the Sunday after the Feast of the Cross. This comes from Matthew 8. Then Jesus called the crowd along with his disciples and said to them, If anyone wants to become my follower, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me and because of the gospel will save it. For what benefit is it for a person to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his life? What can a person give in exchange for his life? For if anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And he said to them, I tell you the truth, there are some standing here who will not experience death before they see the kingdom of God come with power. Now that we understand crucifixion a bit more, we can see how shocking Jesus' statement really is. I think we often hear, take up your cross, as a phrase that means 
become a Christian, implying get baptized, go to church on Sundays, and overall, try to be a good person. But let's think about this for a minute. Jesus didn't say, follow the commandments and you'll be fine. In fact, just a few verses later, someone actually asks him about this. What must one do to inherit eternal life? Jesus responds by reciting a few of the commandments, but then he tells the young man, you lack one thing. Go, sell whatever you have, and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. That's Mark 10, 21. Jesus reinforces that to walk the way, you have to follow him, and he's on the way carrying a cross. The way that Jesus is on is the same way he asks us to go. Father Mark and Dr. Benton on the Bible as Literature podcast once had an acute observation about picking up your cross. If you've picked up the cross and you're walking the way, that means you have moments before they nail you to it. In other words, you don't have long to live. So make every moment count. Taking up your cross and following Jesus is to walk into risk and danger. And it's definitely not a simple adjustment to your everyday, ordinary life. Nor is it a wonderful afternoon baptismal party where we praise the cuteness of a baby and the beautiful baptismal garment that the parents bought. Taking up the cross to follow Jesus is a real responsibility. Just before Jesus had told his disciples that they must pick up their crosses to follow him, he had asked them who people say that he is. They had replied that some people thought he was John the Baptist, and others thought that he was Elijah. But Jesus pressed them to say who they thought he was. Finally, Peter speaks up and says, You are the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. It's at this very moment that Jesus tells them that he must die. Here's how Mark puts it. Then Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and experts in the law, and be killed, and after three days rise again. That's Mark 8.31. Notice that Jesus already knows what his mission is. He already knows that he is on the way that leads to his death, by crucifixion, and he would have been very aware of what that meant. So for Jesus to know and yet still go through with the plan means that he was willingly obedient to his Father, our Heavenly Father. This means that Jesus was one under authority. He was someone who took on the responsibility to follow God's plan, even though it looked like destruction, even though it looked like defeat. When Jesus asks us to take up our cross and walk the way with him, he's asking us to be a people also under the authority of God. He's asking us to take the responsibility of being Christian seriously. On the cross, we put ourselves, our ego, to death and accept the humiliation that comes along with being crucified. Yes, this looks like defeat. And yes, this is hard. But that's what responsibility is all about. And this is the path that leads to the transfiguration of the world. Immediately after Jesus tells his disciples that they must take up their crosses, he leads a few of them up Mount Tabor, and there he is transfigured in glory before them. This passage is linked with the cross. 
The glory of Jesus is seen when he's hanging on the cross. God's glory is revealed through Jesus' obedience to follow through with the plan. We started this podcast talking about the Feast of the Cross, and I mentioned that it's celebrated on September 14th. If you count backwards 40 days, do you know what feast we celebrate in the church then? It's Transfiguration, August 6th. 40, as you know, is a symbolic number, so by having the Transfiguration and the Feast of the Cross 40 days apart is a way of linking them together. In other words, the liturgical cycle of the Church is saying the glory of Jesus, His Transfiguration, is found only through the cross. And even though it may seem counterintuitive to us, we are invited to also pick up our crosses and in doing so, we'll be walking the way. (music) 